The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Global Business with Mahesh Joshi. Today we are going to have part two of uh, Inclusive Capitalism in Global Business. We have two Oxfords of cohort uh, discussing this uh, topic, continuing from last week. I have with me uh, JR as the guest. And as you know, JR is the principal of JR Global LLC, a consulting firm, and he's also the CEO emeritus of finance fund. Uh, we had uh, JR pretty good discussion uh, last week on uh, uh, what's the what is in investment by businesses into social causes and uh, you provided a very good insight into what is inclusive capitalism and also we discussed how can business play a more effective role in creating social impact. So welcome, JR. Good to be here again, Mahesh. All right, yeah, today let's continue our discussion. Uh, let's start with how can businesses and NGOs work together on social impact projects? Um, a, a good question. Um, partnering with NGOs and other organizations that have deep knowledge of customers is often suggested as a way for multinationals to sort of gin up knowledge and extend their uh, their reach. But many uh, corporate executives have found that they have abandoned such partnerships. Now, the main reasons are uh, mismatch in priorities, uh, the sort of the social priority versus the business. Uh, operational differences, uh, differences in, in defining quality standards, and the perception that partners are not always transparent about their true objectives. Okay, so against these daunting odds, uh, how can this partnership work? Yeah, it's kind of difficult. Yeah, because the business is a priority of making money. Where uh, the NGOs would be looking for social benefits. So let me suggest that there are some good examples of, of, of how it can work. Uh, understanding that this is not an inclusive list, let me start in, in the U.S. In, in Cincinnati, Ohio, Strive, uh, a nonprofit subsidiary of a group called KnowledgeWorks, uh-huh. has brought together local leaders to tackle the student achievement crisis and improve education throughout the greater Cincinnati area, and then uh, Cincinnati's on the river, so northern Kentucky area also. So the achievement crisis is like they're not passing or they're getting low grades, something like that? Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. Mm -hmm. They they have some specific standards set up, Mm -hmm. and uh, to be able to meet those standards, which then are considered to be quality. Uh, uh, they they were not meeting those standards. In in the first four years since the group was launched, uh, Strive partners have improved student success in dozens of those areas across three large public school systems. So, uh, and and, uh, the example of that, despite the recession, uh, the budget cuts, 34 of the 53 success indicators that Strive tracks 
have shown positive trends, including high school graduation rates, fourth grade reading and math scores, and a number of uh, preschool children uh, prepared to get into kindergarten. STRIVE, both the organization and the process it facilitates, is an example of something called collective impact. The commitment of a group of important actors from such sectors to a common, to a different sectors, uh, to a common uh, agenda for solving specific social problems. Understanding that collaboration is, is, is nothing new. Uh-huh. The, the social sector is filled with examples of partnerships and networks and other types of joint efforts, but collective impact initiatives are distinctly different. Uh-huh. Unlike, unlike most collaborations, collaborative impact initiatives involved uh, a centralized infrastructure, uh, dedicated staff, and a structured process that leads to a common agenda, shared measurements, uh, continuous communication, and mutually enforcing activities among all participants. Okay. Uh-huh. Now, another example, uh, Marjorie Mayfield-Jackson helped uh, found the Elizabeth River Project with a mission of cleaning up the Elizabeth River in uh, southeastern Virginia, which for decades uh, had been a dumping ground for industrial weights. It was, it was, it was a mess. Uh, they engaged more than 100 stakeholders, including city governments, uh, Virginia Department of Environmental Quality, the U.S. EPA, uh, U.S. Navy, dozens of local businesses, schools, community groups, environmental organizations, universities, uh, in developing an 18-point plan to restore the watershed. Now, 15 years later, uh, more than a thousand acres of watershed land have been conserved or restored. Uh, pollution has been reduced by more than 215 million pounds. That's a big number. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Concentrations of the most severe carcinogens have been cut sixfold, and water quality has significantly improved. Okay. Again, it, it, this is this is uh, this idea of of collaborating. Uh, another group, uh, Shape Up Somerville, is a, a, a citywide effort to reduce and prevent childhood obesity in elementary schools and children in in Somerville, Massachusetts. This effort was led by Christina Economos, um, a an associate professor at Tufts University in their um, um, School of Nutritional Science and Policy. It was funded by uh, other NGOs. Uh, it was funded by foundations of businesses. The program engaged government officials and educators and nonprofits and other citizens in collectively defining wellness and weight gain prevention practices. Example, schools. Uh, decided to offer healthier foods, uh, teach nutrition, and, and promote uh, physical activity. Local restaurants received certifications if they were serving uh, low-fat or high-nutrition foods. Uh, cities uh, organized farmers' markets and provided um, healthy lifestyle incentives, such as reduced price gym memberships to city employees. They even, they even uh, modified their sidewalks and crosswalks. Oh, is uh, that they, right? Yeah, That's they a big effort. Yeah, yeah they re- repainted them to encourage children to walk to school. That's very interesting. That's very uh, interesting. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so so the, the result was uh, a significantly or statistically significant uh, decrease in body mass index among the uh, communities, young uh, people uh, in the period between 
2002, 2005. And here's, here's another, here's a bigger, a little bit bigger example. You're familiar with, familiar with Mars, the confectionery. Right. The, um, uh, they manufactured chocolate brands such as uh, M&M's, Snickers, and Dove. You know, these are things that are dear to your heart. I know that, Mahesh. Uh, <laughs> it, uh, it, they're working with NGOs, local governments, and even direct competitors to improve the life of about uh, more than 500,000 improved cocoa farmers uh, in Coke de Vior, uh, where Mars sources a large portion of its cocoa. Okay, they were they were noticing they were noticing some uh, a lot of volatility in their in their supply chain and uh, a lot of volatility in pricing. Their research suggested that better farming practices and improved plant stocks could triple the yield per hectare, dramatically increasing farmer income and improving the sustainability of the bar's supply chain. Now, to, to accomplish this, Marge, uh, Marge, <laughs> Mars coordinated efforts uh, of a multitude of organizations. The Cote d'Ivoire uh, government needed to provide more agricultural extension workers. Uh, the World Bank needed to do some financing on new roads. Um, uh, bilateral donors needed to support NGOs to help improve uh, health care, uh, nutrition, uh, and educate in the cocoa-growing community. Now, here, Mars found ways to work with direct competitors on pre-competitive issues to reach farmers outside of its supply chain. That is, that is amazing. It's yeah, it is. And, and here's, here's the amazing part, Mahesh. The result was a better product a stronger profit, and less volatility inside their supply chain. Now, now, the common themes here in these examples is that large-scale social change comes from better cross-sector coordination rather than the isolated intervention of individual organizations. That's where the businesses and NGOs can work together very well. Funders of, funders of social impact or nonprofit organizations and businesses likely overlook the, the potential of collective impact because they're, they're used to this focusing on independent action as the primary vehicle of social change. In short, in short the social impact sector most frequently operates using an approach that is called isolated impact. Uh, It's an approach oriented toward finding and funding a solution embodied within a single organization, uh, combined with the hope that the most effective organizations will grow or replicate to extend their impact more widely. Uh, the examples are compelling, but the realities are challenging, okay? So, if the NGO world, uh, in, in the NGO, NGO world, mobilizing uh, and coordinating stakeholders is far messier and slower work than funding a compelling grant request from a single organization. Uh, therefore, the challenges. Here's, here's kind of what has to happen in order to make this work better. And the, the, there has to be a basic systemic change. Ultimately, uh, this is gonna depend on a sustainable campaign to increase the capacity and coordination of the entire field. With some emerging exceptions, the social sector is not yet changed its funding practice, practices uh, to enable and shift 
to competitive impact. Until funders are willing to embrace this this new approach and invest sufficient resources in the necessary facilitation, coordination, measurement that enable organizations to work in concert, Mm -hmm. uh, the the needed infrastructure uh, will not evolve. Yeah, that's very important. Jr. that's great. That's a great example of how uh, NGOs and businesses can work together. Uh, very interesting, the Mars example, Shape of Somerville and Elizabeth River Project. Jr. are we going to take a short break? We'll be back shortly. Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. You are listening to Global Business with Mahesh Joshi. We are having a very interesting discussion with JR on inclusive capitalism in global business. Uh, JR, uh, let me take your views on how does the primary goal of corporation of creating shareholder value, that's what they work on, corporations. And it is measured in terms of money. How does that impact the effort to create a social impact? Does it impede? Does it allow? Or it can go hand in hand. So, so, so this is the question, isn't it? Uh, yeah. this, uh, this whole idea of profit versus social impact, and it's. Uh, I, I would like to say I, I should give you the credit to be the first one to ask this question, but first really, this, maybe a million people. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Your question is not new. Thinking back on our discussions earlier on inclusive capitalism and, and specifically uh, Beinacher and uh, Hanauer's work, um, these are uh, the guys from the Oxford Martin School. Um, they say there, there must be a reconciliation toward, or uh, reconciliation, a reorientation toward seeing businesses as societies problem solvers rather than a vehicle to create shareholder return or value. Now, that pretty much puts it out there right away, doesn't it? Uh, so uh, th- this, would, this, this reorientation uh, would provide a better description of what businesses actually do. It could help executives better balance the interests of multiple stakeholders that they need to manage. It could help shift incentives back toward long-term investments again. The obvious question is, don't we have the basic fiduciary responsibility as managers to maximize our shareholder value? Okay. Now, I find uh, in her book called uh, Shareholder Value Myth, Cornell Law Professor Lynn Scott explains how contrary to popular belief, corporate law does not, does not require boards of directors to maximize shareholder value. Stout argues that 
shareholder statutes and the business judgment rule gives directors the latitude necessary to consider the interests of other stakeholders, such as employees or environmental impact on the communities, in establishing corporate goals and strategies, even at the expense of short-term profit and share price. Now, she also illustrates how a myopic focus on share price paradoxically ends up harming shareholder and other stakeholders over the long term, since such a one-dimensional approach induces and rewards behaviors that is at odds with the natural laws that govern these kind of complex systems. And that's where the problems come in, uh, not, not only on towards the social impact side or whether a company can think uh, on the social impact, which normally are long-term, not necessarily only long-term, they have some short-term benefits too. But even on the performance, it becomes so, as you said, myopic. Uh, but uh, that becomes the monthly and the quarterly numbers become the guiding factors for success. Yes, driving a yes. bad behavior. Uh-huh, uh-huh. It is, uh, it is uh, uh, again, back to Beinhacker, um, it, it, to decide that you're going to make your business decisions on short-term quarterly profits uh, uh, is, is not the wisest choice. Uh, individual companies, industries, and other overall economic systems are interconnected and nested within larger social and environmental systems. The, the, based on this truth, it follows that a business can only be sustainable long-term when the systems upon which it depends are sustainable. Uh, the, degree, the degree to which a company can be considered to be sustainable is a function of how its products and services and business practices impact the overall well-being and resilience of the society and environmental capital upon which it depends. Much of this is a function of a company's business model and to what degree it externalizes costs and risks. Well, let me let me give you an example of what I'm what I'm saying there. That's something very simple. It's it, it's, it's less of a challenge for somebody like uh, the healthy foods place, Whole Foods, uh, to reconcile their sort of triple bottom line, uh, 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 profit, environment, social impact, triple bottom line uh, tensions than it is for a company like uh, Excel Mobil, whose core business contributes to destabilizing climate. While, while Exxon Mobil uh, exposes its commitment to corporate citizenship, much of the company's political spending is aimed at avoiding the responsibility of internalizing the economic cost of its carbon pollution while also maintaining the public subsidies it receives in the form of tax credits, okay? So, so, so uh, Stout says the prevailing shareholder primacy paradigm that is invoked as the justification for increasing shareholder price by externalizing costs and risk is not only inconsistent with sustainability. So she's saying that this whole idea of, of, of not sort of looking at where your social responsibility lies, it's not only inconsistent with sustainability, it's yeah. largely responsible for our current unstable economic path. Well, that's what can create the cycle in that company, uh, even if it's, there's no business cycle. It could be with the business cycle, but... It can get magnified then if you're gone for short-term profit and hurt the company in long term, and same is the impact on so, uh, social impact. Yeah, yeah. Uh, a company's purpose, its its financial and non-financial goals, and the parameters within within which it will operate to achieve them, is a managerial managerial decision. 
Uh-huh. It is a decision to embark on a different transition from a single bottom line to a triple bottom line model. Navigating through that myriad ethical and and organizational challenges along the path toward sustainability is far bigger than any one department or isolated uh, initiative. Making broad level leadership and oversight uh, an imperative. Uh, and and so uh, th- this is something that has to come from uh, how upper level leaders and corporations think. It calls less for technical expertise in the boardroom and more for the type of adaptive leadership that is willing and able to rethink such fundamentals as the purpose of the business, how, how it creates value, and how that value should be distributed based upon who and what helps to create it. Um, one decisive step uh, following this pass uh, could be to explicitly include this sort of sustainability idea as part of the board's fiduciary duty by uh, amending the charter. Uh, Intel, Intel uh, chip manufacturer did that uh, uh, back in 2010. Cor- corporate, corporate sustainability needs to be reframed so that shareholder value is repossessioned as a goal that is managed in symbiotic relationship with social and environmental goals. Authentic corporate sustainability requires board leadership in which triple bottom line values become part of the company's ethos, its, it's, its defining character, and are thoughtfully integrated into the corporate governance practices and, and strategies. This, I, this, yeah, is, I, yeah, this is the whole idea of inclusive capitalism. I think this is this is very nice because you know if you can put it as Intel did uh, on the board's fiduciary duty, uh, that will definitely get the visibility, and then you to see that how keen the board is on providing enough weightage to the social causes, uh, uh, maybe at times at the cost of numbers. Because that's where the mindset comes into play, the long-term purpose of the business. What do they really want to achieve? And what kind of value system they carry in the organization and communicate? Uh, JR, we will continue after taking a quick short break. Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. back. You are listening to Global Business with Mahesh Joshi. We have with us uh, JR discussing about the inclusive capital in capitalism in global business. And we've been discussing uh, how can the corporation with the goal of making money, creating shareholder value in terms of money, 
can impact the efforts to create a social impact. Yeah, and we we, we kind of ended up uh, before the break uh, talking about where the buck stops. Yes. <laughs> this is this this sure. is a decision. Uh, this is a rethinking of values at the highest echelons of of uh, corporations, uh, of multinationals, uh, of, of of global businesses. Uh, debate about the private sector's responsibility for its economic, social, and environmental impacts has been raging since, well, since the dawn of capitalism. Uh, what is new in the emerging global consensus that business is the engine of economic growth and international development and that businesses can and must play an indispensable role alongside government, uh, civic society, communities, to solve complex global challenges like hunger, poverty, inequity, unemployment, climate control. This is, this is the realm of social responsibility that we're talking about. Corporate social responsibility over the years has developed from a simple process of writing a check by a company to a complex set of principles that encompass nearly every interaction a company has with society. The, the, the question of whether corporate social responsibility is profitable and adds value to a company is important to the development community as well because the private sector has far greater resources than government aid programs. If the game-changing resources of the world's largest corporations are put toward the task of poverty, climate change, uh, other global challenges, the results could be dramatic. Now, here, according to a definition from the Corporate Social Responsibility Initiative, at, uh, at Harvard's uh, uh, Kennedy School of Government. Corporate social responsibility encompasses not only the companies, uh, not only what companies do with their profits, but also how they make them. It That's comes, important. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It, 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 it goes beyond philanthropy mm-hmm. and compliance and addressing how companies manage their own economic, social, and environmental impact, as well as their relationships in all key spheres of influence uh, in the workplace, the marketplace, supply chain, uh, the community, and the public realm. Michael, Michael Porter and Mark Kramer, uh, Harvard, uh, uh, Harvard guys, uh, wrote in the Harvard Business Review, Uh, uh, within an article recently, the ability to address social impacts is integral to profit maximization instead of treating it as outside of the profit model. Now, that's exactly exactly what we're saying. This, This debate over the role that profit should play within the realm of corporate citizenship and the review uh, and and the views on this on both sides can be stark so let's 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 start looking at some uh, at some research the research on the relationship here uh, the the profit social relationship is is pretty much inconclusive <laughs> that doesn't sound very very um, uh, hopeful does it it, it indicates that yeah that large-scale investors and the stock market do not clearly reward or punish uh, a company based solely on its global corporate citizenship or sustainability efforts, though there are indicators of a slight 
uh, profit benefit uh, to do social good. And one of the most uh, uh, definitive studies on the topic, research uh, from Harvard Business School, from University of California, University of Michigan, reviewed 167 scholarly <clears throat> scholarly uh, studies. According uh, to a, a summary of their work, uh, in a report, the name of the report was Measuring the Value of Corporate Philanthropy, Social Impact, Business Impact, and uh, Investor Return. It was produced by this committee that they had, um, a committee encouraging philanthropic, uh, corporate philanthropy. The, the studies authored concluded, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, that after 35 years of research, the predominance of scholarly evidence suggests a mildly positive relationship between corporate social performance and corporate financial performance and finds, this is important now, no indication that corporate social investment systemically decreased shareholder value, okay? Right. It, it's basically saying that, hey, it, it, it doesn't have a lot of impact theoretically on, on what your value is. It doesn't for sure decrease it. However, uh, research also indicates that the profit link to social, uh, to social responsibility could be vulnerable to other corporate activities. For example, global corporate citizenship might indeed be profitable, but exploiting workers or destroying natural resources in developing uh, uh, countries could have the uh, opposite effect. The debate mm -hmm. on whether social responsibility is profitable will not be answered by studies and research. It, it, it will be answered by the actions of the world's largest companies and those people who lead them. <clears throat> uh, again, here comes Porter. He says, for, for most people at the top end of the investment community, the business community, the banks, the people who push the capital market around, corporate social responsibility is a fringe issue. This is what he says. If yeah. the people at the top saw this as an issue of building long-term value, there would be a retooling of corporate resources and activities across the board. I think that's a very important point which you brought in, JR, because, you know, th there's a difference between the talk and actually executing it and giving it the due weightage. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, and, and uh, I think it has to do with, with uh, uh, getting this different thinking into, uh, uh, into people's minds. Okay, into leaders' minds. So the, the, the debate is far from settled over profitability of corporate responsibility. There, there is uh, near complete agreement that corporate citizenship is no longer an option. Uh, it, it, it's a requirement. Uh, uh, corporate social responsibility is an intangible asset that in some cases is an integrally linked to corporate profits, such as Starbucks. Uh, we, we all love our Starbucks, don't we? Uh, they, market, they market their coffee as beneficial to growers who produce it. The, the, its social responsibility in part justifies the fact that its prices are higher than the generic cup of coffee at the local convenience store. Yeah. In, in other cases, social practices are more about risk management. A chemical company might, might have little public profile or apparent need to address social issues. But if its waste fouls its surrounding community, it's likely to pay a price in litigation and government sanctions that will dramatically affect their profits. 
I think that's a very important point. I'm saying you picked a very good example with Starbucks and, and those chemical companies and uh, how people can think about uh, what you call the double bottom line that you are creating a social impact as well as at the same time you are making uh, the reasonable amount of money for the corporation for them to sustain because you want to make money to sustain and keep investing more in future to create social impact. So Jar, we're going to take a quick break here and we'll continue after the break. Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. You are listening to Global Business with Mahesh Joshi. We are having a very interesting discussion with JR on the inclusive capitalism in global business. Okay, we ended up uh, before the break. Uh, you're kind of talking about uh, uh, tying uh, thinking to profits and what is managing profits. Now, this research that we're looking at right now tells us that uh, that the kinds of social uh, citizenship uh, that we are advocating for really doesn't decrease profit at all. And as a matter of fact, uh, it, it has other effects uh, that we have a tendency not to look at. Companies around the world and those who trade their shares and analyze their value have recognized that, that corporate uh, social responsibility has invertent, uh, inherent value uh, to a company. The exact dollar figure on that value may not be clearly defined, but the general trend toward greater corporate engagement in social issues is one that will have long-term impact on developing communities. Research by McKenzie shows that an average of 30% of of corporate earnings are at stake. Did you hear that? 30% of corporate earnings are at stake when, it, when it comes to social, the, the, when it comes to the company's um, uh, relationship with society. I, indeed, here, uh, you may know this one. Uh, when the news broke that Volkswagen had uh, been accused of cheating our emission standards test, the their share prices fell almost 35% in the next two trading days. Yeah. Uh, yeah, the VW scandal, among, uh, you know, they're not alone, among others, uh-huh. uh, highlights the continued failure of companies to engage successfully with the world outside the corporation. As, as a, a global survey conducted my, by McKenzie shows that only 21% of business executives think their company frequently engages successfully. It is plain to see that the current model is not working. Okay? Mm-hmm. Companies uh, have relied on corporate social responsibility to govern their relationship with society for the past 20 years. Uh, uh, John Brown, uh, Robin Nuttall, and uh, Tommy Sandel on how companies succeed.
succeed by engaging radically with society. They interviewed 70 business leaders who viewed their social responsibility as commercially irrelevant. Uh, there was a consensus that there, this responsibility focused more on boosting employee morale than addressing the ways a company engages with society. One big problem that social responsibility departments has, uh, have is that there's a lack, they lack the participation of the big spending commercial functions and the input of managers on the ground. They, they haven't received the resources to actually do anything. There, there, there are some things that business leaders can do, some tenants that they could do that would help to revolutionize the way companies began to engage in society. Number one, um, map your world. Uh, this tenant calls for company to be rigorous in analyzing the macroeconomic environment, their public attitudes, their, the company's own behavior uh, in order to identify early on the challenges it might face and the way that they might affect profitability. Shell's a good example of this. Um, uh, to, uh, in, it conducts an exercise in mapping their world, identifying 10 major drivers uh, of change and assessing their respective value at stake for the company and the society. Next one, the purpose, purpose is the litmus test of sustainability for business. Companies that want to be around for decades must ensure that society is at the heart of everything they do. At Unilever, Unilever um, the sustainability uh, living plan is doing just that. It aims to double the size of business by helping one billion people improve their health, well-being, having the company's environmental footprint, and enhancing supplier livelihood. The next one, uh, successfully embedding social concerns deeply within business operations. Internalizing this concept, as Unilever has done, requires a new approach to management at every level of a company, from the boardroom to the shop floor. Companies need the right people with the right skills and experience in, in corporate external, incorporating external considerations into their decision-making. Walmart is one of these guys, okay? Uh, it's example of a company that sort of embedded this clear social purpose into uh, the aims of their management team. Uh, Lee Scott and Robin Walton, who are executives and chairmen, um, uh, decided to make environmental issues a priority and the company's top executives were asked to apply their strategic skills to building a more sustainable business. Finding solutions in today's greatest global, global social problems, from smoking to climate change to obesity, will rely on the resources and innovation of business. The winning companies of the future will be those that successfully redefine their purpose and employ their best teams in pursuit of these great social and environmental challenges. Nice. I think that would be basically the mantra for survival. Mm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That, that's that's very important. Well, JR, uh, thank you so much. This was a, a great insight. And uh, uh, really appreciate you sharing all uh, the, the insight into uh, how the businesses, corporations, and uh, social organizations can work together. And also... The, the, the main issue which every co corporation faces how to have a double bottom line how to keep make keep making money for the company to feed into its efforts towards 
their social responsibility. Very well said, and you gave a very good example of Mars and, and uh, some other uh, uh, examples like Shape Up Somerville and Eligibility River Project and, and uh, Unilever. Now, I want to share something uh, with our listeners today, uh, some facts like uh, the jeans we wear, uh, the Levi Strauss, and uh, probably the oldest uh, the guys who, who, who invented the jeans, what, maybe 140, 50 years ago. Uh, it's strange. You know what they're doing? They have started yeah. recycling old material for new jeans. And uh-huh. they're, you know, they're using around eight plastic bottles, anywhere between 12 to 20 ounce plastic bottles per garment. And so, so if you're ever, ever buying a, a Levi's 511 Slim Fit <laughs> or trucker jeans, uh, you would you would know, but they're using plastic bottles. And um, just to give you a reference point, in the year 2013, they used 7.9 million bottles for that. And uh, look at the other company, Braskem in Brazil. Uh, you know, the plastic is made traditionally from petroleum. Mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. but but the Brazilian petrochemical company Braskem, they're using sugarcane, uh, and sugarcane is their national resource. Mm-hmm. And uh, similarly, what Nike has done on their part, they've compiled a database of materials into an industry, what you can call it, uh, like an archive. Uh, and uh, this is focused on the environmental impacts of the product. So the, their goal is to create such a database and eliminate all hazardous chemicals in its goods by 2020. So yes, companies are looking at it and uh, uh, there is a a, a very good possibility of businesses working together uh, with NGOs. There's a very good opportunity for creating social impact beyond NGOs through the corporation or a combination of both. JR, thank you so much for Uh, sharing your insight and thoughts. Really appreciate it. It was a distinct pleasure. Thank you. again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the voice america business channel for more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest please visit voiceamericabusiness.com the voice america talk radio network is the worldwide leader in live internet talk radio visit voiceamerica.com the views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the voice america talk radio network its staff and management